Hello, and welcome to Off Message Podcast number 12. And rounding up this dirty dozen of media-curious one-on-one chats is a print journalist about to feel, again, the guillotine of corporate cutbacks. Political writer with the Times Ireland edition, for now anyway, Lee's hand waxed lyrical with me in the politically friendly Buswell's Hotel across from her work stomping ground of Leinster House about the impact of social media on the political discourse, the important but disappearing role of regional newspapers and reporting, her move back in the day from music and entertainment journalism to reporting on politics. What went wrong at the Times Ireland and where her already varied career may veer off to next. Enjoy. Please Hand, how do I introduce you? I mean, welcome to Off Message, but what are you now? I am between jobs, but between <laughs> opportunities, I think is probably the way of putting it. Well, uh, up until June 21st, I am a political writer and writer with the Times Ireland edition. Yes. After that, I am plunged back into the shark-infested waters of freelance land. Yeah, welcome. Thank you very much. It's delighted f- to be here. Not the first time you've been in that uh, <laughs> nope. a, a, a choppy waters. This is not my first rodeo. No. So, no, no. Uh, yeah, no, I, over a long career, I have had spells doing freelancing before mm. and, you know, in, interspersed with some staff jobs and so on. So, yeah, it's, it's nothing new for me. OK, well, it's apt so that we meet uh, because, you know, you don't particularly have an office we can go to or, or you're, you're working today. We're yes. in Buzzwells, opposite Leinster House. You could, be, could you be called away at any second? Not How does today. That work? Yeah, it depends on the day of the week. Today is a non-sitting day in Leinster House, okay. so there's nothing going on there. It's tumbleweed up and down the corridors, um, like you know, some kind of Ennio Morricone soundtrack. But on I won't um, add that in in the edit after. <laughs> so on uh, on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, which mm. are the three main sitting days for the doll, there's a chance you know you, you generally tend to stay close enough to the base because you know a vote might go wrong or a yeah. row might break out yeah. or. Quite often, maybe the Taoiseach's office will suddenly announce maybe a quick doorstep interview with the minister or something. So, you, you know, we do tend to kind of generally hover around the vicinity of Dublin too on, on sitting days. Yeah. And Boswell's Hotel here on the corner of Kildare and Molesworth Street is almost your office away from your office. Well, I mean, it's sheer proximity to the front gates of Leinster House make it a great, I suppose, kind of watering hole and halting site <laughs> all rolled into one. Do you hear stories here that you might not hear elsewhere? I think most politicians would be would be wary now. Um, back they, in the day, maybe around, they would have. Yeah, I mean, I think back in the day, it would have heard a lot more. I think most smart politicians would now look around the corners before they maybe launch mm. into some kind of, you know, sensitive conversation. Or more likely than not, the members would be much more likely to use the members' bar in Leinster House, which is, of course, the one place where all media are verboten. So we have no access to it. We can't even see it. Have you ever been in there? No. So I'm one, one ahead of you. I, I was in there having coffee with someone many years ago. OK, well, that's very unusual because while we can all get into, obviously, the public bar, the member side of oh, it is maybe completely... It was, oh, maybe it wasn't the member's ah, bar. Ah, maybe it was just see, the public ah, bar. Ah, you're I just in there with like, all us plebs can ah, go into the, uh, so the public can... bar. But the way that the bar is set up in Leinster House is... It's actually almost like a mirror bar. There's right. the, the main public bar, which is quite which is large, with a bar counter that runs along the left-hand side as you go in. But that bar counter actually re- goes straight through a little archway door and is refl- is mirrored on the other side. Like a shoe horse thing. Like an, almost like, yeah. yes, except we can only see one side ah. of, the, of the actual horseshoe. 
the other side is where the members hang out and we can't see it we can see who maybe who comes and goes but that's yeah, yeah. about the height of it so anytime any any of the you know the members the tds the senators want to have a, a quiet little confabulation or plan you know plot some you know treachery mm. they go in there away from the prying eyes of them of the rest of us and i knew as i was thinking of shoe horse i said that's wrong it's horseshoe horse <laughs> <laughs> shoe horse works though <laughs> so let's let's stay with times ireland yes what what what's going on what happened <laughs> well um it was uh, a bit of a uh, you know it was a bit of a shock i think to all of us for um, those who <laughs> who don't know <laughs> yeah for the, it's the, the the times ireland we have been we have a staff of about you know roughly about 20 plus a lot of satellite you mm. know contributors yeah. and you know regular people who do regular shifts and, this is and we, a, are the, a, a, we are the we are the irish edition of the of the times the of london, london times yes, yeah. yeah yeah um we have been in full operation uh, for about three, I think it's over, coming up to maybe four years, three certainly. And it's, it's, it, it started off, it was actually sort of counterintuitive. Um, it was the brainchild, basically, of Richard Oakley, who was mm-hmm. the editor. And he started it as an online website. So it went online before it went to print, which is, you know, the opposite of every yeah. other newspaper. Yeah, yeah. So it started off as an online offering. Uh, subscription only and they started off in a very wily fashion um, they were giving iPads away I remember that yes all new subscribers got an iPad a free iPad so uh, there was a rush of people to sign up to that Mm. and in fairness to them the website they designed was actually incredibly friendly Uh, you know it was very reader friendly for it was beautifully laid out Mm. really easy to navigate and really kind of I think set the bar for an awful lot of the other websites which might have been a bit more harem scarum and then they decided to try give a trial to the print run as well. Why would they do that if they in, in this day and age? Yeah, it was an interesting. I think it was it was there was a feeling that because you know we had put we were putting on subscribers um, that they could introduce a print edition as well to give us more. It was to be honest, it was probably to give us more prominence among say traditional readers who wouldn't necessarily maybe subscribe to an online newspaper, but but traditional readers are. They yeah, are on they're, the way they're out. on the way out, you but know. it's a f- so we're told. Well, I think we can see the evidence uh, before our very mm. eyes. But it's an odd sort of thing, Pat, because there's almost like you need a print edition to get legitimacy in some quarters. You're not seen as a, you know, I'm making those little kind of you know quotation marks proper newspaper unless you actually have a print entity. I mean, I'll give I'm you an example. I'm not sure the journal.ie would agree with you. Well, I think the journal would agree because oh. I'm talking about like perception, not okay. uh, not actual sure. reality. Okay. Because t- say, for instance, something like it says in the papers on Morning Ireland, mm. which is genuinely really, really key uh, in terms of, you know, getting what's what, you know, what's in the newspaper out there. A lot of people listen to it on the morning commute or over breakfast. It's a great way for a paper to... Out of the to 7 o'clock news and then out of the 8 o'clock news they repeat Exactly. Yeah. So they, it's repeated just after 7am and just after 8am. And it's, you know, the smorgasbord of the main headlines are good, interesting stories in all the, the various papers. When we were an online paper, even though we were we were a genuine mm. online newspaper, we had a newsroom, we had staff. This wasn't just you know uh, this wasn't a site we were just you know taking down scra- scraping down cat pictures off the internet, <laughs> or you know, or as to use that awful word, curating yes. you know news yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, from yeah. other um, websites. We were literally had our own stories, our own journalists, and yet there was a perception of resistance within RTE. To, really? Yes, there was. Uh, to treating us like a, you know, a newspaper, as in one that would get read out. Now they would also argue, well, we don't have a front page, you know, to, 
to actually, you know, we, we just don't have a legitimate front page. Um, it's a working hotel. You hear the noise in the background. Absolutely, can't sure. Em. Can't yeah, stop yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, whereas the other argument is there is we can send you in, a, you know, a, like we can send you in a download of the front page, which you can a print off at your leisure. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, the front of the website was done like a front page. Yeah, so okay. it was essentially, you know, very similar. So this was a bit of a, a kind of a running, you know, this was a running debate between t- Times Ireland Edition and various people in RT. But that came to an, an end, you know, once we had a print edition. Now, I'm not saying that we did it just to basically please RT. Yeah. But I think it was it was symptomatic and a reflection of the, I suppose, the perception that, you know, a newspaper isn't really a newspaper unless you actually have a physical newspaper, which I think is quite interesting. Now, Times have changing so rapidly that I think that recep- that perception has receded now. Mm. I think people are much more likely to consume news online and don't necessarily need, need the print thing. But I think it was seen as just a way of making our presence felt in the market, having something on newsstands that people could pick up. Because, you know, again, the old style loyalty to, to newspapers where you are either household who took the Times Tried, or bought yeah, the Indo. Yeah, yeah or read the press, you know, they're, they're long gone. Sure. And it, people will graze a newsstand and they will say, oh, God, that looks interesting. It was an interesting supplement or there's some recipes or that sounds like mm-hmm. an interesting yarn. Or maybe there could be a writer that they actually like and, and they just pick up a copy on the way out the door. So I think, you know, by having a presence, an actual physical presence, I think it raised the profile of the online thing as well. So they kind of, it worked well. Now, we don't have Richard here and Richard would make a fine... Uh, off-message subject in weeks to come, months to come, um, and I'm sure he'd be delighted. Uh, was that their downfall? Did they did they go did no, they go down a road they shouldn't have gone? No, I don't think that the print, you know, going into a print edition had was the downfall, you know, at all. I don't think that had any. Did they not get enough subscribers? Was it pure business? Well, again, the subscriptions were actually on the up because we had you know introduced a great mm. new price where you could get. Um, the like the daily edition of the, of the Times Ireland plus the Sunday Times for five or a month, so wow. which is yeah, yeah. almost the price of one. Uh, you know, if you consider that one Sunday Times is three euro, you know, you'd make sure. your money back if you bought the Sunday Times every Sunday. Yeah, yeah. You'd actually you're coming out of yeah, profit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, so I think the feeling is really, you know, again, it, it was probably just a perfect storm of of stuff. That so what were the factors? Well, I'd say Brexit probably was, I think Brexit probably had something to do with it, to be absolutely honest, Um, because not specifically, but just in terms of a lot of British business are, you know, they're looking for ways to cut costs. Mm. They're pulling back on a lot of things and not taking chances on things, you know, until the the general uncertainty around Brexit has has turned, I think, a lot of British businesses and organisations much more cautious mm. and much more risk averse. So this decision would have been made in London, not in Dublin. This decision was completely, one hundred entirely made in, in London. This is this has nothing to do. We were just you know passengers on this particular bus. Mm. All the main decisions, you know, we are a brand, we're essentially a branch office. Mm. Now we were an office, you know, we were a branch office of of the Times, the London Times, as they have a branch office in Manchester, and you know they had one in you know wherever else. But, you know, we were an autonomous. At the same time, we had a certain level of autonomy. They didn't dictate what we wrote or how we wrote it. You know, you could probably argue we were slightly the sort of pinko liberal lefty kind of wing 
because we were a lot... I'm not sure I've ever heard the Times in any form called a pinko. Certainly not the London Times, yeah. (laughs) But we were fairly... We got away with a lot that you wouldn't have got away with. The Irish edition... I'm not sure it makes you pinkos, but yes. Not quite pinkos, but certainly like less than reddos. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, Or definitely less than bright Tory blueos either. Yeah, yeah, well, Um, No, you know, we had a very distinct voice that was nothing like the the, the London... You know, it was obviously much more... The the actual mothership would be much more right-wing, much more conservative but, but we did get away were, with yeah, murder but, we but got if, away with a lot okay but if they thought you were going to make money in the long term they'd have stuck with you one doesn't know i mean you see the thing is you know the way i look at it the you know places like ours were probably just a small corner of a you know the chessboard in a game of three-dimensional mm. chess played by the murdoch you know organization you know we did they did we weren't privy to the rationale behind this i don't know the reasons do you mean personally? Yeah, and how long was it going? How long were you there? Um, I joined the... I, I'm there three years. I joined straight after I left the uh, Independent, which was the beginning of May 2016. So okay. I'm there three years, yeah. All right. So, and I have to say, I mean, it was a fantastic place to work. I, I can't really fault it on any level like that. It, the staff were mostly, you know, were young. Uh, Richard Oakley, you know, would took it took a chance on a lot of, say, you know, young interns that came Cheap in. Cheap interns, goddamn them, get out well, there! Well, that's you see, they hey, it's got it's the hustle, you know, it's <laughs> the hustle. Yeah, yeah. So you know, we took on a lot of uh, we say people at a junior level yeah. that then proved themselves and. You know, the proof, if, you, if we needed any, that we had actually made a successful enough lot of journalists, they kept, you know, other papers kept robbing our staff. <laughs> so that's always a good sign you're doing something right. But, you know, the, it was a place where you really could, you, you had a chance to do journalism, you know. Mm. You were allowed to take a few days to do something or to work on longer term investigation, you know, investigative pieces. Um, you, there was a great, you know, there was a great emphasis put on getting news and, you know, and it was very much, you know, you, it was a broad church. You could have differing points of view. If you looked across the sort of range of the columnists that oh, we ran, yeah. they really did run the gamut. Yeah, you yeah. know, from funny to not funny, from a bit lefty and a bit mad <laughs> to, you know, much more sort of, you know, traditional conservative oh, yeah. right wing. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, we really did have a like it was a broad it was a broad church yeah. and um, it was a really nice place to work. It was very collegial. And, you know, Richard Oakley was a really good editor to work with as well. Mm. Um, you know, he would have probably learned the business under Matt Cooper, who was who would have been his first uh, editor when Matt was in the Tribune. Mm. And Richie would have come in, you know, as, as a young fella mm. um, at that point. So I think he, you know, I think a lot of the... I saw a huge amount of similarities between the Times Ireland and from the Sunday Tribune in terms of just how business was done. Now, obviously, we had less... You know, we had less scope because we were essentially the Irish, you know, branch of a of a of a London newspaper rather than our own full paper. Although by the end, the Tribune was a branch, a, sun, a, a kind of shoot, an offshoot. I nearly said shoot off, like shoe horse, an an offshoot of the Independent. Yes, I was part of IN Independent News yes. and Media. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. So yeah. let's go back. Let's let's skip the Indo for a second because um, was the Tribune your first foray into serious journalism? For those who don't remember Lee's hand when she was Lisa Hand. Yes. And I, I want to know why that happened because I've never asked you. Because uh, you're talking to someone who has gone through ver- like various names like yeah. that as well. Um, when I first met you, it was in the l- mid to late 80s when we were both covering music. I was kind of trying to start out in the biz. You were into uh, the music biz. Mm. 
gossip, you know, features, entertainment. I shag off to London for 11 years. I come back and you're a Polgar. I know. <laughs> you're political. So how did that happen, first of all? a long, strange trip it's been. Um, I have no idea. I'm not actually lying. It, I, there was no master plan. There was no... Uh, no plan at all, actually. Mm. I just fell into it. I mean, you know, journalism is journalism as far as I'm concerned. And I would actually argue that when I did work as a social diarist, uh, first um, off and on in the Sunday Independent and then full time in the Sunday Tribune, I think it's probably actually probably the best training I ever had, simply because I had a page I had to fill. Uh, I had to make it entertaining. I had to make it accurate. Mm. I had to find stories I had to then source and double source them and check that they were correct and had to write them up in an informative and entertaining way and all by myself. It was, you know, my own page. So in a funny sort of way, I actually found that it to be a great discipline. Did you take over from Terry Keane? Was she still going at that stage? I Terry was, was very much still there when I was, now I was very junior in the Sunday Independent, but they obviously discovered I could write, you know, yeah. I could turn a phrase. So any time that Terry was off on, you know, a holiday or she was away or whatever they'd usually just draft me in to, to write. Now, I always did it under my own name. I have never written a single line under uh, any byline except mm. my own. Um, but, you know, so I, you know, and I'd just be flung in the deep end. I wouldn't have access to her contacts or her contact book. It was just <laughs> go out there and find some, yeah, some yeah. yarns, young yeah, one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and off I'd go. So, you know, it didn't in take a lot of, of extra way, work for you to do the hanging out because... We were all hanging oh, yeah, out. The hanging out came naturally. Yeah, yeah. But then I'd have to go and hang out at, you know, other stuff. You know, I'd yeah. have to hang out at, you know, book launches and things. That yeah. At that stage, I hadn't really done or, you know, big political events or, you know, or, you know, things like the horse show or whatever. Mm. So, I mean, it was a whole new world I was kind of introduced into and a whole new set of contacts to make. But certainly from the point of view of making contacts and learning how to write accurately, you know, speedily and without getting sued, it's a pretty good, you know, it's a pretty good, um, it's a pretty good training ground. Mm. And how I went from there into into political journalism, I mean, every, you know, I worked in newsrooms, so inevitably I'd end up just doing political news stories. You know, well, there's a the, crossover, isn't there? Like you said, you were at the, you know, the horse show and there would be politicians yeah, there. You you'd know, get you'd to make, know yeah, them. And yeah, you'd make contacts and stuff. But I suppose, the, the, you know, and I dipped in, I mean, when there were big political news days, when I was just a newsroom grunt in either the Daily Independent or the Sunday Independent, more than, and to a certain extent in the, in the Tribune, you know, I just get, you know, thrown out to cover some political drama as a news journalist. Then occasionally they'd sit, give me a pass to go in and sit in the doll and maybe, you know, do something on mm. something on the doll. So I was sort of, I've always dipped in and out of it. Mm. But probably the 2007 election, when I was working in the Daily Independent, the, the Irish Independent, um, they were short staffed. They just needed people to cover that election. So I was put full time on the election campaign ah, okay. and I kind of just forgot to leave. Basically, <laughs> I just made myself useful in a corner and they kind of forgot to banish me back to, to features. A very um, useful lesson there for yeah. young student journos <laughs> yeah. and, and media people. Make yourself useful. Make yourself and they'll useful. keep they may they don't always. Yeah. But if they can, they will. They will. You know, it's a genuine it's a one piece of advice I would say is just, you know, you know be busy. Be indispensable. Yeah, and be indispensable and Helpful. do the, I'll do yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, I can do that. And it's amazing how the gratitude will And then will do it and do it, do it well. Yeah, do it well and do it on time. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. check your spelling. But, you know, so I, I've i always had an interest in politics. You know, and I mean, ah, this okay, always, so that was there all along. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it, it bugs me when people say, you used to be the rock chick. Yeah, I was a rock chick, all right. But I was a rock chick that was also, it was interested in politics. Once a rock chick, 
always yeah. a rock tune. But you can, hey, if Hobson, I, like I would like to still think, I still <laughs> keep... Oh, Plum I also just, get me everywhere. Absolutely, I like to still think, keep the hand in, pardon the pun, but, you know, I was a rock chick that genuinely liked politics. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. you know, the two aren't, you know, you know, if you like kind of going to, you know, into mosh pits it doesn't necessarily mean that you know you hate politics the I mean, doll can be one hell of a mosh pit from well, time to time well they say it's rock and roll for ugly people politics <laughs> don't they so maybe the crossover wasn't that strange after all but you know I, I also I suppose I got really lucky that when I did go full time into politics it was 2007 mm. just as everything was turning to shit yes, yes so it was a great time that election they didn't know what was around the corner no. No, they didn't, no. I mean, No they, clue. They thought we were you know, on the were, pigs yeah, back forever. There were rumblings in the undergrowth at that stage, but everybody was ignoring the rumblings. Uh, yeah, the warnings they were just, coming from academics yeah. and econo- economists and uh, the yeah, like. Yeah, that's it. And they were all just, you know, like doom mongers and Cassandras yeah, yeah. and, you know, um, yeah, yeah. everybody was too busy flying over and back to you know, New York to buy door handles or whatever. So, right. you know, there was, you know, Apartments so it was generally ignored. Yeah. But when, of course, you know, the crash did happen really mm. properly the next year, I mean, it was an extraordinary time to be in, you know, yes. a political journalist. It's I mean, not like you didn't have a lot to write about. Oh, man. I mean, we yeah. were kind of strapped to the front seat of the roller coaster, yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, it, wasn't, it was all downhill and very yeah, little yeah. uphill. Um, so that was actually brilliant. I mean, it was a fascinating time to be there. So you were in the Tribune when it closed. I actually had left. Ah. Yes, thank God I hadn't. I'm By not the much? albatross who's turned Yeah, down. this is what I was yeah, wondering. Yeah. I knew you were teaming I've done, up for that. I've done that. I've worked on, <laughs> I, like, I worked on a couple of shows in RTE and like I worked on, you know, Derek Mooney. Oh, there's Derek gone. John Murray. Oh, there's John Murray. So I keep saying Morning Ireland, the other, the M's. Oh, yeah. Mar- yeah Marion. Keep, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, keep, keep it going. Keep me away from that. No, one. you can't pin that one on no, me. Okay. I had actually left... Um, I had yeah I had actually left at that stage um, the Tribune had closed um, at the beginning of February or the end of January in 2010 okay I know this for a fact because it was also the same day that the general election was called and I was sitting on the press gallery in Leinster House now for anybody who isn't kind of aware of that it's inside the doll chamber there's almost like a little mezzanine narrow balcony that the, the media sit in a long row that overhangs where the Taoiseach sits and mm. the, the leader of the opposition sits. and Are you separated somebody, by glass? No, we are not separated by glass. They give you glass. the privilege of... of and a few they times trust I you have not been, to throw eggs well, down at them. I, a few times now I've been tempted to take off a shoe and lob it at somebody's head, but they're usually good Prada shoes, so I've, no, I ne- never, I'd never get a bag. It would just be in a police locker forever. Yeah, yeah. But this particular day... Somebody, I was, you know, I had been, I was working in, in, in the Independent at that stage, and somebody had um, told me that the Tribune was 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 closing how long had you been gone at that stage i had been gone a few years at that stage ah, okay. but i was still very close to you know to a lot of people who were you freelancing there. or were you were at the no, end of this stage i was with the independent okay. at this stage and um i know i've been there i was there about four years at that stage mm. i left the um the I, i'd actually left in 2005 so okay. i was gone for a while yeah we can't pin that on you at all so i am well You're clear well i'm okay. well out of the evidence well out. Uh, okay. for, out of the frame for that one but I got, you know, I got such a shock, right, that mm. my eyes filled with tears because, you know, I, I, I had genuinely loved the, you know, the paper and I had still, I was still in really friendly with lots of people in the paper. It's so my eyes kind of, here. it's a really, it's a really small community I mean, and we do feel for each other when, mm. when, you know, when this happens. And so I, I didn't actually start crying, but I kind of, my eyes filled with tears and I was sort of wiped, I was put up my hands to my eyes, so just like wiping my eyes clear. And just at that particular moment, the Taoiseach, Brian Cowan, 
had just literally said he's off, to, you know, he's dissolving the doll. And he looked, he just looked up and he happened to see me wipe my eyes. And he kind of gave me this expression going, ah, it's not that bad. And I'm there trying to convey going, I don't give a shit about you guys. I'm really glad to see the back of you. I'm crying for a completely different reason. Oh, that's very funny. Have oh, you ever told them that God. story? No, I never did. Because, I mean, it just everything went completely chaotic after that. He's never heard that story. No, no unless <laughs> he's you send him the now. link to this. I'll yeah. send him a link to this now. <laughs> that's the God's honest truth. And what happened at the end, though? How long were you there? And how that didn't end well. Well, the... <laughs> I mean, if I was a taxi driver, I'm sure my passengers would be suing me at this stage because, I mean, I've literally done the, the circle route of journalism. You know, I mean, I started off in the Sunday Tribune, then went to Sunday Independent, then went back to the Sunday Tribune, then went back to the, the uh, Irish Independent. So, I mean, I've bounced around a lot. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, I'm really, I, I haven't talked about it. I, I won't talk about it uh, for several reasons, but. Yeah, it was a difficult departure from the What are the reasons? Because I have a problem with journalists who expect, uh, you know, those people they're interviewing to be honest and upfront with them and reveal the facts. And then when we go and quiz each other or whatever, so I can't talk about that. Now, unless you have a very good reason, and there are very good reasons, I'm not saying you don't have them. What are your reasons for not talking about the Indo? Well, my reasons, I can talk about the Indo to a certain extent, but the reasons well, I won't talk about my, and, uh, my exit. Yeah, no, the reason I can't talk about my exit because um, it became legal in the end okay. and it became legally contentious. Okay. And part of the my exit agreement was that I, you know, I would not sort of disclose sort of details mm. about the exit and okay. all that. Um, Would you, are you but, keeping I mean, that for I've your made book? No bones that, that? Oh, I'm keeping that for my book. Yeah, okay. yeah. No, definitely will. It'll that'll be part, volume probably four. I'd say. Um, I knew I wouldn't get it out of you, but I knew yeah. I didn't no, want I mean, to. It's, it's, you have to explain in a case where you're yes. not talking about something. You have to give a genuine reason. Well, that's a genuine reason, yes. but you know, I don't think uh, it would come as a shock to anybody that it, you know it was a contentious. It you know it was it had turned you know a very negative experience for me and you know I was you know I just came to the point where I absolutely had to get out of the place so but you know I had some you know in previous years I was you know I was there a good few years and you know under the you know there was one editor that I worked with Claire Grady that she was editor Mm. for a year and she's also a close friend of mine Mm. and you know, it was a great place to work under her and it sort of shows when you have a really great positive editor who's giving a lot of positive vibrations mm. to a newsroom, you know, how, how that sort of informs the how the place runs, I'll you know. I'll forgive you for using vibrations. You hey, that's the rock chick in there. Come on, you know, hippie. I just have to go. I, I, I kind of <laughs> lapse back into rock chick speak every now and then. <laughs> so it that didn't end well. Um, and uh, but I was, was very, it tough? Yeah, it was tough. I mean, I won't I won't deny that. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it was tough because, you know, you spend a lot of time. Um, I have great pride in my work, you know, and I really love, you know, what I do. So when you have, end up, you know, coming out of a place, you know, feeling quite negative about the whole mm. thing, um, you know, it's not a good feeling. But um, lucky I am incredibly resilient. And also I just walk straight into the job in the Times Ireland. I mean, I literally... Within about two weeks, I, I was, you know, back working. Were so, you headhunted or did you hustle them? Um, I, I'm not actually 100% sure I, who, who approached who first. I'm, and I'm not being hedgy. <laughs> like I genuinely, I, I, did he shift yeah. me? Did I shift? It's kind I of a bit know. like yeah. that, you know what I mean? Like sort of, you know, we've, the, the naggins were drunk and the s- slow set started. Yeah. And I have no idea who like crossed who the floor the first, first. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Cross the floor first, <laughs> okay. please, Pat. Bit of decorum. But um, 
I'm genuinely not sure, but it was, you know, Richie Oakley would have known that I was now free. So you had a profile. It wasn't like you were a oh junior God, yeah. a journalist who had ah, been let no, go. I, t- I have. You a, have. Yeah, I'm of course. A senior, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm a senior reporter at this stage, you know, with a genuinely, you know, hard sort of one reputation yeah. for being good. Uh, you know, I'm a good if writer. If you say and, so yourself. Oh yeah, no, I, I have no compunction saying that I'm a good writer. I have absolutely no false modesty. I'm, you know, I like use, that. to use a dumb No, I like that. Yeah, no, you I know, think you're I'm right. I'm not saying I'm a great writer, but I mean, I yeah. am a good writer, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and amazingly, thank God, to see touching wood, I have never ended up in a court over anything I've ever written, and. I generally seem to piss off everybody equally, which is a sign that I'm probably being fair. You know, I'm certainly not when it sure. comes to I'm politicians. Yeah, well, uh, I'm talking mm, about politicians. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, they'll often, you know, you'll have one say to me, God, you gave your man a, like, oh, yeah, a, a, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, a really yeah. easy time, but are you a blue shirt? Or else you'll have somebody yeah, yeah. saying, you know, Jesus, you must be, you're, must come for Fianna Fáil family. You know, you get a lot of I that. I don't know how you deal with that crowd. Like, <laughs> I hear I hear politicians on, you know, Morning Ireland or Pat Kenny or Sean O'Rourke Breakfast and News or whatever, and they're just coming out with cliché after... And, and, they're, and I don't believe a word they're saying. And I kind of go, how do you interview these beeps week in, week out? You know, it's like, does it not drive you scatty? Well... I suppose, well, okay, for... I know there's a game going on, but this is a serious game. This this people's lives that they're, yeah. you know, in charge of and having an impact on, so... Well, you get to learn, I mean, you can very quick, you're, you know, the, when you're in Leinster House, I think your bullshit detector, you know, um, gets fairly supercharged. I mean, you can tell straight away when somebody's feeding you a line and somebody is spoofing. If, you, if you're any way good, you can well, I you can, can hear it that. on the radio. And I'm well, thinking they should if get they challenged. Go, if if they, they, yeah, like, and they are, but they still... Well, yeah. But they're like, so, they're, they're like Michael Gove, the other, you know, talking about... His, he just kept coming out with the, you know, same old, same old line over and over. And if you repeat it often enough, people believe you, you know. Yeah. It's, well, I mean, I look... The it'd be very are, frustrating. Yeah, but I mean, the electors are smart, you know, like the... They, they mm. ge- well, mm. sometimes some of them are. Yeah. Um, but I look. I think Irish people generally can can smell bullshit, you know. And yet we, and yet a lot of them are in power. We sm- we may smell it. I mean, do we enjoy the smell? Well, of Well, some people do. You see, it depends. Yeah. Like that's a whole different day's argument. Yes, like, course, why do people vote for certain people? Yes. Or, you know, why do people with you know say criminal convictions, you know, manage to the top polls and get into yeah, you yeah. know into the doll? Or how come mm-hmm. people who you know, deny, you know, climate change, you know, you know, why are they sitting in the doll? I mean, there's lots of reasons you can sure. ask. Yeah, yeah. And there's lots of different reasons, reasons people but vote for But it doesn't drive you, Scatty. You kind of take that as part of the, the rules well, of the game, the playing, you know, the condition so of the ru- pitch. Yeah, I mean, it's not so much the rules of the game. I mean, Leinster House, I always think it's a bit like, I don't know, killing a scully or something, you know. It's you kind of, it's almost <laughs> like a sort of a, a country village, a wee village where everybody says hello, you know, everybody knows what you're up yeah, to and yeah. what everybody else is up to. And, you know, it's got your corner boys and your village idiots and mm. your, your chancers and then it's yeah. got the good people and whatever so you know I mean that's the funny thing about Leinster House I mean there's people in there whose politics I would abhor but who I actually like personally and then there's people who I might agree with their politics but I wouldn't want to go for a pint with them yes. yeah, so you know yeah, it's yeah. that sort of you know now I have to say though since I have been predominantly in there as a sort of the parliamentary sketch writer which means, you know, I will write the kind of the funny bits about what goes on in the doll, or if a minister or a senior politician or somebody is out and about doing something, I'll go and I'll kind of write mm. sort of the colour piece on it. I'm kind of a bit of a freewheeling soul because I'm not relying on them to give me new stories. You can stand back and observe as much so as I listen. So I can really stand back and observe, yeah. and I don't need to sort of plumb off 
say the spin doctors or mm. any of the policy of people to try and you know get a, a yarn and out you of them put it in a wider context for the, for the giggle if it yeah, makes sense if it if, exactly if, yeah. so it, it's a bit what I do is a bit different I don't have that same kind of relationship and I don't spend an awful lot of time in Leinster House um, mm. I would be there Tuesdays Wednesdays but I would spend an awful lot of time on the road you know mm. I would be out on the road a lot of time as well because I just if I'm in an office I break out in hives I'm absolutely genuinely allergic to offices so I like to be on the road and I think you have to be because then you're actually you know you get what the politicians are thinking but you got to go out then and hear what the actual punters are talking mm. about like what the people are talking about what their you know what their hopes and fears are or what they're you know in a beef about I mean you know the I was having this discussion with um, with somebody the other day about you know, the whole way that, you know, it was just a journalist, a British journalist, and they were saying, you know, they were talking about Brexit and the whole referendum shock and all that. And I was saying, well, you know, if you take the Brexit referendum and you take uh, Donald Trump's um, election in the States, it was unsurprising on one level that the media missed it because something like 53,000 journalists have have been laid off in the US in the last 10 years. And a lot of those have come from regional um, mm-hmm. Newspapers and regional stations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the main newspapers who would have that inbuilt intelligence network on the ground in these places lost that massive set source of intelligence of on the ground. What are people thinking? Mm-hmm. You know, how are what, what are the issues locally? Are people pissed off? Yeah, yeah. Are they whatever? And instead, the, the the national journalists would swoop into these sort of towns and cities where there were maybe presidential rallies or candidate and rallies. They'd have on. the wrong accent. They'd be dressed the wrong way. They're yeah, not, they and they'd locals. be in and they out. Yeah, it. they'd be in and out, and they they wouldn't pick yeah. up the the, yeah, the, yeah. the you know the groundswell. And I think this, to a certain extent, you know, it was replicated in the in the UK, where it was you know similar levels of layoffs. And if you look at the the sort of the traditional newspapers here, you know, a lot of them. Certainly, when I started off, the regionals played a huge role in in coverage in, say, things like the Irish Independent and the Evening Herald. Oh, really? Oh, really? Yeah, where you, you know, the regionals would be a crucial, vital part of the, of the day's so coverage. So you'd scour them, and you'd have contacts. You'd ring people. You'd, you'd you would. You'd scour the papers every day. You'd go through all the regionals, locals, and you'd yeah. also have region your own regional correspondents mm. around the country. And they were more or less the first to to be axed when you know when the first cutbacks came. So instead, you'd have you know Dublin-based journalists would be sent down to cover yeah, X yeah. story but they just don't have the you know the, you do your best of course you would but you know you don't have obviously the same nuance or sense of what's going on that you know journalists embedded in a community would and this is I think is a huge reason you know why we and you know it was a shock when Trump got elected I'm not saying that's why he got elected mm. but it's why it became a why, shock why to the media yeah. and why it was missed why the Brexit referendum was missed mm. here and you know I think there's a massive danger that the way that the business is going here is a lot of journalists are, you know, stuck in an office because there isn't the resources to send them, you know, you know, send them to spend time on a story. Mm-hmm. You know, they're driving up and down the day to a story or they're trying to talk to people at the end of a phone or they're yeah, yeah. scraping stuff online rather yeah, than actually yeah, yeah. going out. So insofar as is ever possible for me, I choose to try and, you know, be on the road as much as I can. So I am getting the Insta House thing, but I'm also then getting you know, the other side of it as well. And that's important to me. Where do you sit on the whole um, social media as uh, uh, an input into journalism uh, debate? And it's a a many-sided debate, but, like, social media has taken, in a lot of ways, the media as the middleman out of the equation Mm. in that certain political parties, certain groups uh, go straight to their heartland via social media. 
Well, I mean, I think that it's a good a, thing. It's a bad thing. It's a that's a kind of complicated thing because. Um, you know, social media on one level is really good because people who would never have, say, access to any, you know, the inner circles of power or, you know, to those, you know, those up above in Dublin, you know, now, you know, can make their point on Twitter that, might, you know, they might get retweeted by somebody who agrees with their point of view. So from the point of view of bringing outside, you know, people who wouldn't necessarily be able just to rock up to their, t- you know, their TD or their minis- minister's door mm. and say, look, I have an issue here. I don't agree with this. Um, now, obviously, we're not talking about trolls who just troll everything, and yeah, we're not yeah. ta- that's yeah, different. Yeah. But I'm just talking about the sort of the, the, the democratic nature of it. Um, I think that TDs and ministers, you know, they they can use it to gauge, to sort of see if an issue is picking up traction. You know, if it suddenly turns into a you know goes viral on Twitter or the Twitter storm starts. But at the same time, it's no substitute for talking to people. It's no substitute. I mean, it's fine, but you know, ministers should not be making policy decisions on the back of what's happening on Twitter. I'm that not is even really talk- wrong. Yeah, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about groups like Brexit. I don't think would have been as successful as it was. Trump wouldn't have been as successful as as as, as he was, and his whole entire campaign and those affiliated with him and some of the perhaps more unpleasant uh, right wing groups that are affiliated with him, whether he likes it or not without them having gone to hell with the privileged elite in Washington or in New York. And they communicated directly with their people. Well, that stirs up a whole shitstorm. Yeah, I mean, the look, this whole social media thing and politics is really complicated because you obviously then have, you know, you have sort of outside forces coming in to try mm. and meddle with election. You know, we've yeah, seen yeah. with Cambridge Analytica and, yeah. you know, the way that they're shipping blame for distorting the uh, the Brexit argument, you know, with an awful lot of fake news and misinformation right. and disinformation. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, social media, I always associate, I always compare Twitter particularly to one of those kind of, you're the old Wild West saloon bars, like in Western movies, right? Where like, you, you say know, that, I've said it's the Wild somebody, West so often. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. you know, somebody, particularly saloon bar, you know, when like mm. somebody goes into town and the camera kind of tracks over their shoulders and they yeah. go to the swing doors. Yeah, yeah. And next thing there's, you know, dancing girls on the stage, there's like five fights, there's bottles flying, there's a guy on the old Joanna like belting out a tune, there's somebody letting off a gun. Right, like that's what Twitter is, you know. So it's unpredictable and crazy and there's no rules. Um, and I think the only thing that you can one can do is try and... You know, figure out a system, and I mean, we're everybody's still trying to pick their way through this. Yeah. Figure out a way to say. Well, to, you some know, people to have figured out how to use it. That's what I'm saying. There are groups, especially Facebook, for instance. Yeah. They've figured out how to use the damn thing, and the rest of it, you know, yeah. politics is 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 a ten million miles behind. You know, conventional politics, conventional media. Yeah, but they're, then, they're ignoring them. Yeah, but it was interesting. I even to this morning, I I just I don't I can't remember where the thread who you know who started the thread or what mm-hmm. what where it sprang from. But there was quite a lively thread uh, and there was quite a lot of local politicians and they were taking exception to somebody who had said that, you know, politicians knocking on doors during campaigns is a waste of time. And they were coming back. You know, their argument was absolutely wrong, false. It, was, it wasn't a politician that, that had made that the original remark. It, yeah. But they were sort of saying absolutely wrong, false. It is really important to knock on doors and talk to people simply because it's a way of getting FaceTime with, with with members of the community, mm. hearing firsthand their accounts of you know what's worrying them or what what you know what their beefs are, and you know it's really important to establish that relationship. And that online is not a substitute for and that. And that online is not a substitute because mm. 
you know, obviously meeting somebody does make an impression. And it's not just the person at the door. If they go back inside and close the door and there's six people in the, sitting around the kitchen table and they'll say, oh, look, so-and-so is at the door and, like, she's a decent skin or, sure. you know, yeah, yeah. or he yeah, yeah. sounds like he they looks had like a, similar, a bit of a dickhead. They had a similar you know. debate uh, uh, during the election about posters and whether yeah. they had any role or not. Yeah, know. and posters, yeah. there's no doubt. I mean, they do. I, I would argue yeah, yeah. they do. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the trouble with the sort of social media is that the same electorate who are, you know, completely comfortable, you know, chatting to somebody at a door, they're faced with this tsunami of information mm. that's coming at them. And unless, you know, you are quite an experienced consumer of news, you know, you might see a story that looks like it's totally legit from a looks like a totally legit website that's well written. And unless you know that the provenance of that story mm. is, you know, the website has a certain political agenda or it's a dubious story. Facebook you know, has started putting little information uh, yes, icons have. on any link to yeah. a website so that you can at well, least I mean, have a look at its veracity. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can pick up, if you're a consumer of news to a newspaper, right, you pick up a newspaper and you know that, and this is probably key as well, that any story, bar, of course, you know, some that slip through the net, but they're, they're, they're the exception, you know, has been read by several pairs of eyes. Mm. You know, it, it was written by somebody who, you know, has their name on the story, has been hired, has a certain level of expertise, you know, whether it's their junior or senior. It has been read by a sub-editor, it has been read by a news editor, and then if it's anyway, you know, hard-edged news, it's probably been seen by a lawyer as well. Mm. So several pairs of eyes have actually read something before it goes into print. An awful lot of the online stuff may just go from, you know, the person who wrote it straight up onto a a website, because it is the Wild West and the the rules don't apply. Um, So... You know, it's it's it is a minefield, and it's one of the big struggles that um, that you know, we, I don't like using the word mainstream media because it's been sort of co-opted by the the crazies that kind of use it as a swear word or some kind of like <laughs> bad thing, right? But the more traditional media, um, you know, it is one of their big. It's one of the big problems that they that we have is to try and combat this. Yeah, not just politicians. The media. Have no, to, I mean it's yeah. a, it's a huge thing yeah, because yeah. you know we have to fight against this tide. You know we're the you know we're trying to trying to say look come over here we'll give you, you know the full story. At least you know you if you pick up a paper and you see somebody you'll go well he's a right wing so and so I'm not reading yeah, him yeah. but at least you'll know what he stands for before you read it, or if you pick up a front page now, there may be a certain you know spin on a story or whatever but again it's. You know, no newspaper is going to run a, like you know a defamatory, massively made-up story on the front page mm. simply because they'll end up down the forecourt yeah, yeah. quicker than you can say bag of gold. So, you know, it's trying to put a st- sort of some kind of structure responsibility on what, what you know uh, online. So when that's at least impossible, and it and, is and, impossible. And no, not, it is impossible. And not it only is. that, very recently, yeah, some. Uh, very experienced media heads mm. who you would think would spot things. I saw them retweeting, sharing online a story about uh, uh, suicide and, uh, yeah. sorry, uh, euthanasia in Holland, yeah. girl who was, who was pregnant. And yeah. it wasn't true at all. It, you know, if they don't spot stuff like that, what hope do the rest of us well, have? I mean, you see, this is, and this is the inherent danger. I mean, mm. I know on the personal level, I'm always very slow to retweet something. I mean, I really am very Except slow. Except my stuff, obviously. Ah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's what you have comes with the begging letter. <laughs> so, but, you know, the... the um, <laughs> my secret's out. <laughs> no, but the... I'm only messing. But, you know, I generally, unless I really actually probably know the person who wrote it or know of them. Uh, yeah, yeah. But if I, I, but I, you know, people will actually retweet, which I, I find astonishing. People will retweet stories having just read the headline. I'm going like, what's yeah, that about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, at least read the bloody story before you retweet it. Because, yeah. you know, sometimes I see a story go, Jesus, that's really interesting. 
Then I'll click on it and I'll get halfway down and go, like, this is a pile of rubbish. Yeah, like, And it's not the story or, or of the headline. Or it's dodgy, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah, I'll just, yeah. like, I'll yeah, tiptoe yeah. back yeah, away yeah. from it. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, at least yeah, you yeah. can do is read the Jesus thing to the end yeah. before yeah, you yeah. retweet, yeah, you yeah. know. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I, I think it's, you know, I think there are groups who are have are very savvy online. Mm. And it, I, we saw it certainly in, in recent elections. You see it in Europe, but you saw it with uh, Trump's election in the US, you saw it with the Brexit referendum, who bypassed the traditional mm. media and are we, have well-funded campaigns to send a lot of what they would argue is factually correct, but, but others might see it as disinformation. And it goes straight to the eyeballs who will the people who will be voting mm-hmm. and it, it it bypasses the traditional media i think that's one of the biggest threats to that and a very noisy kitchen behind us in the in the hotel <laughs> yeah, but you know i also think that um i mean i'm not i don't think i'm just being kind of overly you know glass half full about this but i think you know it, there comes a point where the sort of wave of information is so great that people do eventually kind of seek out trusted sources you know and i I think that but if you um, if you're not trusted and a lot of people do not trust as you called it the mainstream media they don't and they may have good reason to because every media outlet has its own agenda whatever it is and it's 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 you know they have those who now bypass it have used that it might only be a slight bias but whatever it is Mm. to say they're they're fake news yeah, well, I mean, there's yeah, but you, you. It's a battle. It is a battle, but I mean, I think there's a big difference between. I mean, I think there's you know there's many flaws with the media. I think that the traditional media we needs to be a lot more um, gender balanced for a start. Mm-hmm. I mean, there isn't a single uh, woman editor of any uh, traditional paper here in Ireland at the moment, which is absolutely mind-boggling, um, and even not that many in the positions of decision making in a newspaper, because obviously you know gender does. Um, I suppose it creates its own um, how do I say I'm trying, trying to how to put this you know you, you prioritise certain stories or certain issues depending on your gender I think there would be a slight balance you know if you have eight guys sitting around a room and I'm not being sexist about this but they're not going to really you know childcare isn't going to be like in the mm. top five stories because predominantly most of the but women not only do that but women will bring a different spin and they will bring but, a completely but, different spin and angle to it but it's so, not just gender there's a lot of well. I, no, I mean, I start with gender. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, four hours later. Yeah, no, but I mean, like very quickly, like gender needs to be more gender yeah, diversity. Yeah, there needs yeah. to be far more diversity, sort of socioeconomically as well. Um, Some I would think, argue that's more important. Well, I would argue that they're equally important. Okay. To be honest. And, yeah. You know, they can be both. You know, it can Check. be one. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to actually separate one sure, from sure. the other. Um, and I think. You know, there has to be a lot more voices of people who have just arrived here recently mm-hmm. in years who have a completely different experience of being Irish um, than, you know, we us that were born here. And I one of the things I think that we, in order to deal with the trust thing that you're talking about, is we have to figure out a model to embed people back in the communities, you know, to... Like the local correspondents. Like the local like, correspondents. Yeah. This, you know, I mean, you have a situation... I'll just take one small example... Years ago, you would be sent out to cover council meetings, right? You'd go down to Dunleary County Council, you know, Dunleary Ratdown mm. County Council or Dublin City Council, and you'd actually sit in the room and you'd cover meetings. The argument now is, should they live stream them? You don't have to be there, which is fundamentally wrong, because if you're not in the room, you don't sort of see which councillors are cosy enough to each other, who f- who's on the outs with you each other. You see one camera. 
you see, you see one, one camera, camera shot, and also and they it. see you, which is more important. Yeah. And if they pick up the paper and, you know, it's been a fair report about what went on or, you know, they're more likely to come up to you and sidle up and say, look, there's a, here's a yarn, check this out. Mm. It's all about those communications, mm. you know, and that's been lost. So if the if people in their localities aren't seeing the journalists there and don't know their faces, why should they trust? Mm. I don't blame them. Nobody mm. could blame them. Yeah, so yeah. whatever model is constructed, it doesn't matter if people are reading it on fecking parchment, on a keyboard, or, if they're, or on a uh, computer screen, on paper... Whatever the new model is constructed, it will only work, I think, if it actually somehow figures out a way to go back in on a on a human level mm. to re to to reintroducing journalists back into the community, people that you know familiar faces that people can trust because they're part of those communities, and by that way you get the trust of the community, and you're also then able to use the the local and regional journalists as a conduit to the the national papers. So the national papers can ring somebody mm. and you can yeah, give yeah. them the steer in the right if direction. If the national papers still exist. Well, I mean, <laughs> in that's whatever form. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's the story now that, that you're finished times at the end of June mm-hmm. uh, very shortly? How are you feeling about that? I'm actually remarkably philosophical about it. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm not putting on a brave face. When you heard the news? Well, when... The news, when we heard the news, I mean, it was a shock because, you know, we did know we had been, you know, warned that certain, you know, cutbacks were coming. I mean, we did know that there was bad news coming on the track, but everybody was, you know, taken aback at the finality of it. I mean, you know, they essentially, it is pulling the shutters down. They have, there are three jobs available. I don't actually know if anyone's applied for them. You know, three journalists who will kind of keep the show on the road to a certain extent and just put up X number of stories on the the website a day. But Mm. I don't know if anyone's gone for those or not. But, you know, essentially the Times Iron Edition as we know it, you know, is gone. So the print is gone and the website will be a smaller... It would be just a... It really would be just feeding into the mothership as much as something else with a sort of a section more than... So, no, yeah, as we we know it. I mean, you know, as I said, it's not my first rodeo. Um, It's, you know... There's nothing personal about this, you know. It's it's business. Somebody made a business decision. So you know, it's you know, on a personal level, it's not because I did anything. You know, I failed in some way or whatever. This mm. is just somebody making. It's somebody in the UK making a decision who doesn't even know who you are. Who doesn't know who mm-hmm. I? Who wouldn't know? Couldn't pick me out from a lineup. Yeah. So therefore, you know, it's uh, you know, on a personal level, I'm absolutely fine about it, and. You know, I've left jobs before. I mean, I've always been the sort of person that walks, if I'm not having a good time, you know, or I'm not, you know, feeling fulfilled in, in a job or, you know, if things are just, you know, getting a bit, you know, a bit more door, you know, I'll always just sort of say, right, that's it, I'm off. So, you know, I'm not particularly panicked about it. I mean, I'm around a long time. Would you um, ever leave journalism? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I'll always end stay in media in some description because, you know, well, you know, I can't cook for shit. My bedside manner is terrible and I'm a numerous. So that basically, you know, rules out any other career in, you know, finance, mm-hmm. medicine or, or uh, hospitality, you know. <laughs> so I'm kind of stuck with this one. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, there are many, media takes many forms. I, I, I'm not talking about going into PR or marketing. I can't, I, I'm, my bones are too old to jump the fence at this stage. But communication is communication on many levels in media. There's, you know, there's, there's loads of different new horizons mm-hmm. in media. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm already talking to a few people about different projects and stuff like that, so I'm kind of enthused. Would you jump the other fence? Would you become a communications uh, advisor to some of the geezers behind your back in Leinster House? I think most of them are beyond help at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> they 
That's a maybe very if, political answer. Maybe if a fresh That's batch a politician's came in that answer. I could shape to my, like, you know, would like... Would you? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, no. I, to be honest, I would have no... I'd have no desire to go into kind of, you know, doing press for somebody in politics. Mm. I couldn't. I, I just, I, you know, that is the the ultimate fence jump to me and okay. I'm just too old to do it. Okay. Now, you know, I suppose like everybody who's in politics... You know, I I enjoy, I enjoy some of the nerdy stuff in politics. You know, like how, you know, how politics is made in terms of like how policy is put together. Uh, you know, I could I, sometimes I look at various departments and I think, God, you know, you're having a clue, lads. You know, you could do this so much better. You know, particularly say things like arts and culture and mm. things that I, you know, I was an arts editor as well as you know, I I, I have an interest in arts and culture. You know, something like that. So, you know. I could do something like that. But, you know, I could also go back to waitressing. I mean, I've got super arm, super long arms. I can fit like six plates in one arm. So, you know, um, I'm sort of keeping all my options open. But Ideal world, where would you go next? Well, into the nearest bar and buy like the winning lot- lotto ticket for next Saturday. Second, be, all right, second know. ideal world. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I... Work-wise. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've always, as long as it's varied and mm. as long as it's interesting and as long as it doesn't have me sitting in an office all day and as long as it involves me talking to people and hearing stories and telling stories, I'm kind of open to anything, really. When you started out, had you any notion of where it might go? Where, you know, looking back? <laughs> Listen, my first day in uh, in DCU when they, you know, they were asking us why we want to do the journalism it course. It wasn't even DCU back yeah, then, was NIG, it? it was NIG, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just said DCU because it's, you know, most, yeah, it saves me I do explaining. That too. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they said, why do you want to be a journalist? And I said, because I want to get into gigs for free and I want free records. <laughs> well, your reaction, everybody in the class burst out laughing. Uh, no, I, d- I really laughed because yeah. I did that for years. But I mean, but I was so honest about it. Yeah. And the, of course, the irony was I was actually first out of my entire year to get a job. So there you go. But, yeah. um, but, so uh, you could fairly safely say that when I started out, you know, something that wanted to get into gigs for free. I you know I didn't really think I'd be sort of sitting in the press gallery in Leinster House, you know, mm. um, writing about the, the great events of the day or, you know, doing something like standing in the Oval Office, you know, like that's pretty cool. And, you, you know, you do even at this advanced stage, you know, there are still days where I find myself kind of going, how the mm. hell did this happen? You know, yeah, yeah. so I think as long as, you know, you still have days like that, it's It'll always still be a good career. And I mentioned it earlier. Where did the the the, the change, the ever so subtle change from Lisa, oh yeah, to Lee's happen, and why? Just showbiz, showbiz, baby. So when did when when like when I when I left for London? It was in a drunken idea. I'm genuinely really, honest. yeah, yeah. I think I went to the states. But you had been long established as Lisa, so trying to yeah. Well, I think it was. I don't know. I think I went to the states, and um. I think I decided just as a ex- social experiment and then... When are we talking about? I, The early 2000s yeah, or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think also I also liked the idea of having a name that was a bit different than the one that my older friends knew me as because in a funny sort of way when you have your name in a newspaper it's a bit there is something showbiz about that you know, yeah. like you're in the paper yeah, yeah. and I like the idea of having sort of Lee's the journalist and then, like you know, my friends who called me other stuff. I mean, like I, my, I was actually christened Elizabeth. Okay. Because the priest refused to christen me Elisa because this wasn't a saint's name. But my all my family called me Lee. Mm-hmm. And then I got some friends, you know, older friends who would call me Lizzie. So, you know, uh, what's a name? You know. Yeah. So it was. There's no kind of big mystery about it. I just it, it started as a whim, and then I just kind of liked it and stuck to it. And has it worked? What? To change of name. Has the ex- social experiment worked? Well, 
or do certain people do some people? Do, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I hear, I hear people like you know, you being on the radio, and I can, I know some people who know you as Lisa yeah. stumble over calling you Lees. I kind of like that. I kind of like. What I do. I swear to God, <laughs> I oh, actually, you're a cruel I kind of, yeah, I know, I am, yeah, yeah. I actually, I like spreading a bit of sort of you know confusion. That's sort of it. Kind of fits with my. Do not categorize me. Put me in a box. Uh, decide like you know anything about me. I kind of like that, you know. <laughs> sure listen my new job I might come back as like Anastasia or something like that you know or just call myself you know you know think of good Irish spelling of of uh, of Leisha or something and come back as that you know cool hand Lees yeah that could, that could work you know I mean I've probably wouldn't though no probably wouldn't probably wouldn't Lee's hand on that note on that uh, n- nominative is that the nominative r- nominative yes. note yes very good thank you very much thank you Pat So thanks again to Lee's Hand for our off-message podcast number 12 chat. If you fancy investigating previous episodes, they're all available for streaming or downloading at SoundCloud, Google and Apple Podcasts, and all the other usual suspects. You can subscribe to future Media Savvy off-message podcasts there, or if you sign up via the subscription form on any off-message post over at patamani.ie, you'll also get ahead-of-the-pack notices of equally riveting off-message blog posts. And, of course, you can follow and like Off Message on Twitter and Facebook at Off Message one As usual, all shares and shout-outs greatly appreciated. Till the next time, I'm Pat O'Mahony, this is Off Message, and thank you for listening. <laughs>